Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So in the future, there is a wedding ceremony that will be held in heaven where the church, or the bride of Christ, will be presented to Jesus, the groom. The bride will be arrayed in fine linen, bright and pure, indicating that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it says the righteous deeds of the saints, but the righteousness that the saints do comes from God. We know it's not our own righteousness because we're told that in several places. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord, Isaiah says. And so that righteousness comes from Christ. Revelation 3, 5, The one who conquers will be clothed, thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Our modern wedding ceremony takes a lot of things from Scripture, specifically the bride who is prepared for the groom, and she's clothed in white, symbolizing purity and righteousness, and she is then brought to the groom who receives her as his bride. So to the couple that wants to honor God in their marriage and in their lives, they want to do it right. They're looking to the scriptures for their inspiration and for their direction, and they just want to do things that please God. There's a couple of things that we can learn. The wedding for believers, it honors God first. That's the purpose of the wedding, is to honor the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife, and God has created that. The couple themselves honor God in their relationships with Him. It's all about Him first. A bride and a groom both submit their lives to Christ. Their wedding is not so much about them as it is God and His plan for them. They're following that path that God has prepared for them. The groom stands prepared to receive his wife and care for her as they will now become one. He has prepared a place for his bride, and together they will start their lives as a newly created family. And the bride has prepared herself. And this isn't referring to five hours in the salon prior to the wedding. It refers to her being prepared to be an honorable wife, clothed in purity and righteousness. And this is more than simply staying physically pure until the wedding night. It's about character, virtue, integrity, faith. That's the way to do it right. So the obvious question for many is, what about the grooms and the bride that have not met this criteria? They threw away their virginity voluntarily, and they are no longer men and women of character, virtue, or integrity before God, not just because of the virginity thing, but just because of the way they live their lives. That's kind of our culture. Where do they stand? Well, it's simple. They're in the same boat as many of us were. But as Paul lays out this list of behavior God condemns in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, He unveils a beautiful reality for those who have come to that place where they recognize, man, I've messed up a lot of things before God, and now I want to surrender to Christ and confess and turn from my old life. And what happens in 1 Corinthians 6.11, it says, And such were some of you, talking about this list of wicked behavior that, if you read it, many of us have one or more things that, yeah, I was guilty of that, I've done that too. And it says, As such were some of you. In other words, you were just like them. That's the way you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
That's the gospel in action. Those that reject Christ or Christianity for whatever reason, and yes, there's a lot of reasons why people would feel Christianity is something they want to avoid, mainly because of the behavior of a lot of people professing to be Christians. But we got to remember, Jesus and his gospel are totally different than Christianity. Christianity is, is a mess. It's what we try to make Jesus and the gospel. It's full of man's efforts to try to define God, to try to understand God. And, and in some areas of Christianity, it's good. Others, it's not good. But separating the Christianity from Jesus is huge because it's Jesus that saves. It's not Christianity that saves. It's Jesus that washes, that sanctifies, that justifies. It's not Christianity that does that. Jesus rescues us individually from our darkness and he cleanses us from our filth. He sanctifies us or he sets us aside for his special purpose and he justifies us or he renders our verdict innocent. You are no longer guilty before me. My blood paid for your sin. You are innocent. That's the good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. So for those who can't say that they're pure or have good character or are godly, but, you know, in the back of their mind, it's like, man, I really want to honor God. I don't know how to do this, but I don't like being this way. Man, there's a lot of hope for the person who seeks the Lord. And you can have a life where your wickedness has been taken away. First John 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When our hearts are right before God, he sees us now as forgiven and he cleanses all of our wickedness. And that was me. And I testify that the gospel still works. Jesus is Lord and he will do these things. He did it in my life, but it was years after our wedding. So what about those who come to their wedding ceremony with the intent to be pure, but they were abused and their virginity was robbed from them? Their issue isn't necessarily repentance. Their issue is healing. And any shame or guilt or things like that that the devil is using to manipulate them to making them feel like I'm not worthy to approach God. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That means everybody who is weighed down with something, they can come to Christ. And the beautiful thing is that in Christ, all is forgiven, all is paid for. So our sins are paid for, and we are cleansed not only from our own sins, but also from the sins of others. So a person who has been abused can be cleansed. They can be clean. They can stand before God as a beloved child of God, just like everybody else. Because now they are once again pure. In Hebrews 4.14 it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So how is a victim of abuse tempted? Well, think about the temptation that person will go through. Tempted to think that God doesn't love me, or I've been forgotten, or I'm bad, or I'm unlovable. This is the work of the devil, and he has relentlessly and without mercy tried to control mankind since the garden when Adam gave him dominion over the earth, which Adam once possessed, and he's been doing so ever since. The devil wants to keep us down. First John 5.19, we know that we're from God and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. It totally does. And the devil will use whatever technique he can to thwart the work of God in the lives of God's creation. And using guilt, shame, fear, etc. to manipulate people out of the will of God, that's his game and he's good at it. But Jesus conquered that work at the cross. And no matter what has been done in the past, Jesus' blood paid for it all. Now, 
we can come to him with confidence. And as it says, let us then with confidence draw near to that throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy is not getting the punishment for our sin that we deserve, while grace is getting blessed when we don't deserve it. So in our time of need, where do we go? We go to him and he's going to iron out whatever issues we have. Then we come out washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through 11, is probably one of my favorite and most comforting verses in the Scripture because I've lived that. I've been on that side where God looks at me and says, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God behaving like that, son. I'm like, oh, shoot, what do I do? And then coming to faith, confessing and repenting, God did the work. He washed me. He sanctified me. He justified me. Still got a ways to go. None of us are perfect, and we won't be perfect until that day we're with him face to face. But I've lived that. And as David wrote in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So that entire conversion from darkness to light is beyond words. And when you come to the other side and experience his mercy and grace, you feel like the bride who has been clothed in fine linen, pure and bright. Our stains are gone now The bride who was once in darkness can prepare to walk the aisle with confidence in who they are. They're washed. They're clean. They're a child of God. And the same goes for the groom, obviously. This is how to begin a marriage that will endure. Both the bride and the groom walking with Jesus, washed and clean. The sanctification piece is interesting. When we're sanctified, we're now in a place where God will use us for his kingdom. And if both the bride and the groom are serious about serving the Lord in general, then God is going to lead you down a life of adventure with many blessings along the way. But there's also going to be hardship because in these low points, that's where we mature as believers. When things are tough, that's where we get strong. We learn to trust in the Lord. There's an old saying that fruit grows in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. So a life serving the Lord is not always happy and fun, but neither is a life serving yourself. That's worse. So with all this in mind, now the wedding. What honors God at a wedding? The bride and groom honor him. That's the key. Not the parents who may honor him, but the focus of the wedding is the couple. And do they honor God or not? If they do, then the wedding will be honorable to God. I have officiated a few weddings that were absolutely beautiful. The bride and the groom were both believers, and they specifically said they wanted God as the center of their wedding. The venue didn't matter, even though they were nice. What mattered is God was glorified in these weddings. And what was eye-opening to me is the amount of expected guests, how it plummeted when the bride and groom refused to serve alcohol. And the reason they refused to serve alcohol was they had observed at other weddings what their invited guests did. And I've also been to weddings, including my own, that turned into a drunk fest. And along with the drunks come the inappropriate behavior that is toxic to a godly wedding, and it ruins it for the bride and the groom. So all the drunks stayed home. And it was for the better. Another part of the wedding that was axed by these couples, and I didn't tell them to do this, was the dancing. And they didn't want dancing. With the dancing comes music, most of which is raunchy. And this further reduced the number of attendees where the wedding was expected to have like 500 people and ended up having less than 100. But it was perfect. The entire event was centered on this couple and their new life. It was sweet, pleasant, tasteful. And those couples are still in love years later. It was awesome. And all those people that didn't want to come because I can't get drunk and I can't dance with raunchy music, they missed out. 
I've observed that when God is honored at a wedding by the couple and the wedding reflects this, and sometimes at the dismay of controlling mothers who insist on doing everything their way and practically ruin the wedding, but when God's honored, the wedding is beautiful. When God is not honored at a wedding, it can still be a good wedding, but it's missing the key point. Marriage is a picture of Jesus and his church. He is the groom, we're the bride. And when the devil is at the seat of honor at a wedding, the wedding, it just kind of sucks. It's not that good. And in my career, we had many encounters at weddings that got out of hand and, oh my gosh, drinking, fighting, screaming, yelling. A few of the brides and grooms ended up in jail. Their wedding night was spent in a holding cell wearing their dress or their tux. (laughs) Get out of jail tomorrow and open your gifts. want to honor God and not honor the devil at your wedding, and it'll be a blessing. And on the wedding day, remember, it's the couple's day, not the parents or friends' day. So the couple, let your light shine for Jesus and you will be blessed. Thank you.